Number one, welcome. Hey, I'm glad you're here. My name's Troy. I'm one of the teaching pastors at Safe Haven. Um, we threw up a Where's Waldo picture last week. Uh, did anybody find Waldo? <laughs> By any, did anybody find him? Elisa. I tried so hard. Is Jared here? He's exhausted from the daddy-daughter dance. He may be up teaching the kids right now. I could not find Where's Waldo, uh, so scratch that whole illustration. He's, he's not in there. There you go. Um, but we looked at that. Maybe this week this will be a good, better illustration to launch us into the text. We always try to kind of get our mindset of where the text is headed. I think the text is headed here this week. Um, what would happen if you put together in the same room and told them to live together, Right? Now, we're going to put these people in the same room, tell them to live together. Um, if we put an IRS, IRS agent, um, it is tax season, by the way, um, a casino owner, a hoarder, a, um, a, a minimalist, a oil tycoon, and we'll call what's going on in this last picture an environmentalist. All right? We'll just, we'll just call it that. Uh, got some tree love going on. Uh, it, If we put all those people together and told them that they had to exist together, how fast do you think that would erupt? Pretty quick, right? And it would, it, would, it would erupt because everybody has their own different bents. Everybody has their own presuppositions in life. Everybody has their own uh, preferences in life. And so we would feel that. We would feel that tension. That is everything that Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 has been telling us. We hadn't been thinking about it in these terms, have we? We've been thinking about it in terms of all that Christ has done, but remember what He's done. What He's done is taken Jews, He's taken Gentiles, He's wed them together in a beautiful family. He's taken people from all across the spectrum, wed them together, and said, hey, now you've got to get along because of what Christ has done. And as you all know, just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we're not humans. Anybody feel that tension? What Christ calls us to be, but also we still very much wrestle with the flesh within us. And so, because of that, there are different presuppositions, personalities, all that kind of stuff that, that it makes it hard. And so, that's where we're going to find ourselves in the text today. Christ has done all of these things, and it's, it's the same thing I tell with Christians and sports. I don't know what it is about Christians and sporting events to where people start saying things like this. Well, you you really better watch your Christian attitude. You got a little heated there. Now listen, that was not a justification for the fact that I lose my temper. That's not what that was. Um, But sometimes people think that just because we're Christians, somehow we're castrated, right? And that's not the case. We, we, we want to honor God. We, we do. We love to serve and, and to use those things. But we still very much wrestle with our presuppositions and preferences. And so that's what's happening in the church. I guess I could say it this way. Ephesians 1 through 3, if it's taught us anything, it's that God has wed together this scattered family of all different people groups all over the world. And he's made this brand new society straight out of diversity. And then all of a sudden, as Tyler Lee said this week, if you guys, some of you know Tyler, he said it this way. I love the way that he said it. He's like, as I, as I read through Ephesians chapter 4, it's like Paul is saying, God's saying through Paul, he's like, man, there's a whole lot going on here in this new church, and y'all are just going to have to figure out how to work through it. That's kind of a, a, a simplistic answer of what's going on. Uh, so that gets us to where we're at today. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to move from doctrine of chapters 1 through 3, 
And then chapters 4 through 6, it's not going to be doctrine anymore, but it's going to be duty. Okay? So for all of you who've been on this ride with us through the doctrines of 1 through 3, it's going to switch. Can I just say this? It's going to feel different. It's real fun. I mean, every Sunday since we've started Ephesians, we've walked out here like a pep rally, haven't we? It's been so good. It's got that spiritual high, and everybody's high-fiving. And it's, now all of a sudden, we're going to hit duty. And when duty hits us, it feels different. So I'm just kind of prepping you for that as we kind of enter into this moment. So it's going to move from doctrine to duty of what the gospel does to what we do. Uh, what is the natural byproduct of the inward change that the gospel has made in us? And he says it like this. Gets us to chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, so that therefore is, I therefore, because of this new unity in Christ, I therefore, because I've done this, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you, or I beg you, I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So in other words, because of what Christ has done in taking scattered vagabond people and making them united and grounded in Christ. Because I've done this, I urge you to live that out, to let that become visible. It's one thing, chapters 1 through 3, for us to walk away with happy giddy, and it's a whole other thing to let that happy giddy express itself into very real practical things in our lives. In other words, we should look different than... Non-Christians. It, it calls us to something. And, and how he does this is very interesting. He doesn't say, the way that I want you to live this out is to go join a church. The way that I want you to live this out is to join a community group. The way that I want you to live this out is to read your Bible. The way that I want you to live this out is to pray. He doesn't say any of those things. So as we're fleshing out, what does it look like to walk out our faith... Maybe it begins with us stripping away everything you might have thought or heard growing up, right? So for me, to be a good Christian growing up, number one, that's a whole other story for another day. Uh, as grace washes you over, over you, you realize there's no such thing as a good Christian. There's only really rotten Christians. Thankful for God's grace who makes all things beautiful, Right? So, so that's one thing. But number two, to be a good Christian, you pray every day, go to church, don't dance, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't, you know, all the things. Um, and it's the checklist. Well, Paul doesn't do that at all. He says if we're going to be different, it's actually not going to start externally. It's going to start internally. And it's going to maybe be seasoned or categorized in a word that I guess we could say emotional health. To live out our faith actually begins with being emotionally healthy internally to flesh it out. So if you're wondering, what does it look like to walk my faith out, to take doctrine and to turn it into duty, he's going to call us to some characteristics in our life. Okay, so let's recap. Because of what I've done, or Paul didn't say that, because of what God's done, all right? Because of what God's done, therefore... I beg you to walk out your faith in a manner in which you've been called. Visibly live out your duty well. The way that you do that is with four things. With humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. You see where we're headed? Anybody already feel it? 
Right? It's like, Troy, it would be so much easier if you would just say, hey, read ten chapters of the Bible a day, and then you're walking out your faith. Um, go to Tyler's community group, and you'll walk out your faith. Now, all of a sudden, we begin to feel this. And so he says, he takes it internal. Let's just kind of look at these traits of how random people experience the unity that chapter 1 through 3 has been talking about. So, humility. And there is a unifying effect of being emotionally healthy through humility. Um, the, the root or the, the foundation, the, 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 the floor, the footings of the cross. Hey, that really is the great equalizer of mankind, isn't it? I mean, there's nobody at the foot of the cross that says, I'm rich or I'm poor. We go, whoa. There's nobody at the foot of the cross that says, I'm smarter or I'm not so smarter. There's nobody at the foot of the cross that says, I'm popular. I mean... Who stands at the foot of the cross and says, hey, Jesus, people know me? Well, it doesn't happen. That's just silly, right? It's the great equalizer. And so he says, listen, if we're going to truly experience and walk out or live out our what happened in Christ for us, then we start by modeling the humility that we find at the foot of the cross. We start by not comparing ourselves with one another. And, and I really think that's where the root of uh, non-humility comes in. I've hesitated to use the word pride because I'll, I'll throw that out in just a second. I really think it, it's this. Um, it, when we don't express or walk out our faith, it's usually... Let me scratch that. When we don't express or walk out our faith, it is always rooted in pride. Always. Every single time. And I, I think the way that we get trapped into it, or I, maybe I can't speak for we... Um, the way that I get trapped into it is this. When I begin to walk around and look at different people and notice their differences, when I start looking and going, okay, Elise is different from me in this way, or um, uh, Lisa is different from me in this way, right? When I start looking around and going, okay, John is different from me, that's the moment that pride begins creeping in. It's the moment where I go, well, I'm not like John in this way, and so therefore either he needs to be like me or I need to be more like him. It's just it's pride, right? And so therefore I'll walk out of that and I'll try to alter either him or I'll try to alter either me, and it becomes this competition for who can be the best and the greatest. Let's put it on you now. It's your workplace, it's your workplace scenario. It's your school scenario. It's the hobby scenario. It's where you look at that other person and you start seeing them as different than you. And in those differences, you become competing for who's going to be supreme chief, right? Who's going to get the most applause? Who's going to whatever it is? And all of that rooted in pride. And the moment that we do that, we can rest assured that our walk with God begins to tank. We're not living out the foundation footing of the cross. And and what the cross in humility calls us to do is not to look at everybody as different, but to look at distinctions. That's what the gospel calls us to. To be able to look at Jill and go, Jill's not different than me. We're, we're, we're not the same. We're just distinct. She's different and good at some things, and I'm different and good at some things, and she's not so good at some things, and I'm not so good at... But I don't see you as different. I see you as distinct. In other words, the beauty of humility is we can look around and go, Ethan is distinct from me, and God uses him in a way that he don't use me. Praise the Lord for the way that he uses Ethan. 
Totally different. Distinctions versus differences. God does something unique through every individual or, boy, I wish I was more like that individual. And Paul says, if we're ever going to walk out our faith, it's going to be met first and foremost in humility. Going, we are distinct, but because we're distinct, I can humbly bow at the cross and thankful that God's using different distinct people for different distinct things for His glory and ultimately our good. And isn't that the root actually of humility? that we don't think God could actually use somebody else for His glory and our good. And that's where pride kind of wells up, right? And that's what He's calling us to. He's calling us back to this, to, to see our lowliness and not to compete with other people. The gospel calls us to not compete, I guess is what it would say. Now, listen, like I said before, that doesn't mean don't win the ball games. We should win every ball game. As a matter of fact, as the Safe Haven Little Girls softball team kicks off, I hope we whip everybody's tail in good Christian humility. All right? <laughs> Doesn't mean, but it, don't, it means we don't compete with one another. I don't look at Jared and go, I really am jealous that he's seven foot six, something like that. <laughs> right? And it, I look at it, I go, God uses him in a way that is unique. Praise the Lord for His distinction. That's where humility fits in. Paul says, number one, this is where it's going to flesh itself out. So if we're going to model what Christ has done, we're truly going to be united. It's going to start with humility. And then number two, by the unifying effect of being emotionally healthy through gentleness. How are you doing in gentleness? Let's define gentleness first. Um, it, literally, it's, it's meekness. Meekness despite being strong. It's the picture here. Um, in the Greek, a lot of you guys know this, the, pic- the picture that's formed out of meekness is a horse. Horses are super strong. I've never met a horse that I or you can whip. Not when it's grown anyway. Uh, now Bradley Moore back there might could whip a horse, okay? That's true. They're just strong. They're powerful. But you know the unique thing about a horse is if it's broken, if it breaks its own spirit and puts that bridle in its mouth, it will humbly submit despite its power. It'll choose to take its power and to walk in gentleness despite how how strong it is. And so that's number two. Paul says if we're going to live out our faith, number one, be humble. But number two, you may be strong, but bridle your strength. And strength comes in all different kinds of ways, don't it? Some people are strong, like, like Andy Weigel strong, okay? Some people are strong, like super smart strong, like Kayvon. Um, some people are strong financially. I don't see anybody that's like, <laughs> really comes to mind at Safe Haven Church. <laughs> I know a lot of churches that have those, like where we came from, there were some people I could have pointed out and then they would have killed me, but say they, we don't have that, but you know what I mean. It's, it all comes in different forms, and it's taking our strength and going, I choose to bridle that for the glory of the gospel. And that's how we live out our faith. Some of y'all, it's a natural thing to be gentle. That is some of y'all's natural tendency is you can feel with Tyler. Tyler LaFoy is good at this. He can sit down with people that he disagrees with and he like, like he feels with them. 
There, we have another pastor on staff that's not as good at that. And, and sometimes it's a, it's, it has to be a cultivated habit. Because you don't necessarily feel with somebody. But if we're going to model out or live out the Christian life, it's choosing, if it's not your natural bent, it's choosing to bridle and be gentle. Hey, you can walk up to a brand new puppy and you can choke the thing straight to death. Right? Or you can choose to be gentle. You can choose to love the puppy, if you will. Um, and, And so here's the choice. He says, listen, choose to walk out of the lane of self-sufficiency and choose, if we're going to model Christ to a world, choose to know that we're better together. We're better and stronger together. And then he says this, number three. There's also the unifying effect of being emotionally healthy through patience. And that's the decision to just be patient even in the face of aggravating disagreement. Sometimes it's genuine disagreement. Sometimes it's just misunderstanding, isn't it? Y'all have all been in disagreements before, surely, to where you enter into the conversation, and then after two hours of conversation, you go, oh, wait, we just kind of misunderstood each other, right? Well, being patient with one another um, all the time, to bear with one another in love. In other words, to have mutual tolerance is what we're called to. And then number four, the unifying effect of being emotionally healthy through eagerness. Specifically here, to eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're all eager in the world. From get to go, from when we're real little, as soon as we're born in today's society, you start slapping Nike symbols on people. Nike, just do it. Right? And that's the mantra. I mean, when, when Kobe, wherever Kobe went, when, when Kobe was first born... He came out with a size 13 foot. It just is what it is. And, and we slap Nikes on him. Just do it. And it's not just what we slap on via clothes. It's what we start saying. The world is yours. Go grab it by the horns and do whatever you want to do. The sky's the limit. Um, the world is your oyster. Which I've never really understood how that fits. Um, the world is your oyster. In other words... You can do, go for it, live your best life now. Be eager about growing yourself. And Paul says, we can't be eager that way, but we are to be eager. If we're going to live out a life that models the gospel, we're eager about something, but we're eager about maintaining the unity of the spirit of the bond peace. How are you doing in that? How are you doing in those things, those four things? Because the way that you're eager about maintaining the spirit of the bond of peace is to be humble and to be patient and to be gentle. So how are you doing? How does it look in your family? How does that look in your own psyche? Do you find yourself as a constant competitive spirit comparing yourself with that person you're like, Troy, how would you know about that person? I didn't say their name. I just said that person. Do you, do you feel that? I think God's doing something through this passage pretty unique. Are you actively, eagerly seeking the welfare of other people through aligning your bank account for gospel purposes? Aligning your vacations for gospel purposes? Aligning your hobbies for gospel purposes. That doesn't mean you don't do jujitsu. Do it. Do jujitsu. 
but do it for gospel purposes? Are you aligning your family for gospel purposes? People invited in to eat for no other reason than just to get to know them, to love them, and to share a dinner so that you can just boast in Jesus. Are you aligning your choices of your home, your car, your music, your books, your dating, your marriage? What is it? Are we aligning those for gospel purposes? As eagerly as you are awaiting that IRS check to clear in your bank account. Now, some of y'all just stressed out because you're like, whoa, it is tax season. (laughs) And then some of you doubly stressed out because you're like, man, I'm not getting nothing back this year. As a matter of fact, I owe. Uh, we were in that same... Anyway, that's the top, we can talk about that as we eat steaks at my house. Okay. Let's, let's don't use the IRS. That was a bad illustration. Let's use the stimulus check, right? If you're going to get it. Maybe that was a bad illustration. I don't know because everybody's not getting it. Let's say everybody's getting the stimulus check. And we're eager. We keep checking. Go online. Did they drop that money in there? I'm eager to see. Are we as eager to be humble? Are we as eager to be gentle? Are we as eager to be patient? Are we as eager to bear with one another in love for the spirit of the bond of peace? Any crack that you're experiencing in life right now, where you're like, no, that's not true in this situation or that situation, whatever, I promise you, Look at it, and you'll find pride in there somewhere. Where you're setting yourself up to be supreme chief, number one, rather than the gospel glory in all things. And this is what this passage calls us to, to align this. And remember, as we wrap it up, this is not so that we'll be good boys and girls. This is not so that we'll get the VBS star and get to walk away with the dumb, dumb lollipop. Um, This is not so that we'll get the good citizenship award. Uh, raise your hands if you got the Good Citizenship Award in elementary school. Where are y'all at? All right. All right. Got targets on all of y'all. The rest of us, if you didn't get it, raise your hand proudly. Never got it. There we go. <laughs> it's not so that God looks down and goes, good, you're a good boy and girl. Glad you're being humble, patient. That's not the, the point. This is how we walk out our faith. This is how we live out what the gospel's done internally. And this is how God unifies church family around these things. We do these things because we want to be like the Godhead. Big word. That's a, that's a good, good selling point to come to the systematic theology class that we do on Wednesday nights or either come back on Sunday night where we dive deeper. Godhead simply this. The Father, the Spirit... The Son, one, Godhead, three in one. His branding is unity. That's, that's what he is, which is why the next verse says oneness seven times. Do these things to live out your faith because it models oneness. Verse four, do these things because there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. As the band comes back up. So our choice to live emotionally healthy, unifying lives is just simply made possible because of the soil that we're planted in. 
the soul, being the oneness of Christ, should necessarily shoot up and produce in us the desire to be one with others. Unifying, that's, that's the whole picture here. And so, you know, every family could illustrate this, every single one. Our family is, is one of those. I'll use ours because I don't want to offend you and yours. We're all different in our family, way different. Kobe is creative as all get out. He is our creative. He, he, he sings in color and, and his room is in... I mean, you walk in, it's a dead gum music studio in the joint. You know, I mean, it's like it really is. Um, he, he loves to create. Um, Macy Lane is our comedian. Only those who know Macy Lane would know that. As random as all get out. She, but she's funny, super quiet. She's our comedian. Cole, our policeman. Borderline Pharisee. I'm just going to throw that out there. A little bit legalist. Everybody's got to have one. Right? He's our policeman. He keeps, us, he keeps structure. Julie Beth, logic and reason. She brings the thing together. Troy Nicholson. I'm trying to mess the whole thing up. Chaos, randomness, just blah, and they're, they're all like, whoa, bring it back in, Dad. You know, we're all different. We're completely different. And the only thing that makes our family even work, or any family work, is the gospel. It's where we choose not to run away from one another and pursue creativity or pursue comedy or pursue legalism or pursue logic or pursue chaos. It's not to do that. It's to walk in and go, hey, God can use our crazy zoo for something. But the only way he'll use it is if we're humble with one another, if we're patient with one another, if we're eagerly bearing for the bond of peace, and if we're gentle with one another. Which is how I convinced Julie Beth to rub my head at night. I don't know. That's stupid. Uh, Be gentle. All that to say this, our goal as Christians is to maintain visibly on earth what's already occurring eternally in heaven. Humbleness will be the aroma of eternity. Patience will be the aroma of eternity. Gentleness will be the aroma of eternity. Not competing with one another will be the aroma for eternity. So why not now? What a good passage, amen? Hey, let's pray together. Lord... This text, because of your spirit, hits everybody in this room different. So, so God, I just want to acknowledge, thank you, that safe haven, that we we do not rest in the words of man or the ability of man to communicate anything that does life change. If anything of value occurs, it's because of this text and the power of your spirit. So... Meet with everyone individually right now about those things. God, I think I can collectively say we, 
we want to be used as a lighthouse of unity in the gospel at Safe Haven. We want people, God, to, to not go, hey, what a cool church or fun church or whatever. We want people to go, those people really love Jesus. So God, I pray that that would be expressed not through events, not through daddy-daughter dances, although those are great means, but that will be expressed in the way that we love other people with humility, with patience, with gentleness, and eager to maintain the bond of peace. Convict people in this moment. Draw them to repentance to where they'll confess that to you. Challenge people in this moment, Lord, to walk out of the doors of this place and to fight for those things and to cultivate them in our garden. And then, God, let us as a church celebrate what only you can do together. If nothing else, make our church more unified that from chair to chair we would model these attributes to one another. And it would just overflow in the world, but especially right here in our own church family. Thank you, Jesus, for your text. Amen.